Hello and welcome back to all current and future shareholders of BitFrontier Capital Holdings. Still here with me uh, for part two. We managed to hang on for for a whole week. No, we, we we took a quick break and and now we're back. But this 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 part will go out at least uh, seven days after the first round and um, hopefully, and I'm, I'm I say hopefully, I'm, I know for sure that um, a lot of our our viewers will have learned a lot. I know that that I did, and, and we joked in our, our short little break that I was literally sitting here taking notes as, as you were talking, not just not just notes for podcast edits, but um, some captivating stuff uh, on on the last uh, the last go around. It really was uh, really was awesome. We um we want to we wanted now to focus more specifically. We've obviously we've talked about various different industries, different sectors, how the how the system uh, works or what exactly liquid immersion is. Um, we've done a f- fantastic job there. N- now we want to to focus because the majority of our listeners are are crypto enthusiasts. That's that's why they listen. Um, we want to focus now specifically on um, how the system works in in a liquid immersion uh, setting for for crypto mining. So um, Gary, the, the first thing that, that obviously probably the piece that um, you understand better than anybody else out there um, is, is how the actual, the system itself works from, from the, from the tank to how the, the pumping system works. Can you, can you start us off by kind of giving us a, a, an overview of that? Yeah. So at, at the highest level, a single phase liquid immersion system is um, you have a container that you place the electronic devices in. So in this case, we have crypto miners, they're placed um, in a tank typically, um, and that tank allows the fluid, uh, in this case, BitCool from engineered fluids, to flow through the miner, typically from bottom to top. Um, And that's important, and we'll get back to that, the direction of that fluid flow. Now, why from the bottom to the top? Because heat rises, so you're gonna use the convective energy of the heated fluid as it rises naturally. Then we're gonna recover that heated fluid and we're going to circulate that through some kind of a cooling loop. Now, if we take uh, kind of our standard slick tank and, and our 40-foot uh, container, for instance, that, that uh, we're putting together uh, here in, uh, in the near future down in Texas, that system is composed of 12 tanks. Each tank holds 30 miners. And we flow the fluid through those tanks at 2.5 liters per minute per kilowatt. Now, why that number? What's magic about 2.5 liters per minute per kilowatt? Well, we've done a lot of testing uh, with our BitCool product and a lot of different mining devices and things and a lot of electronic devices overall. And what we find is that the perfect number, if you were to sit down and calculate the minimum flow rate, absolutely minimum flow rate required, it would be about one point five, six liters per minute per kilowatt. But we recommend that everyone, when you're doing a design for a new tank, if you're using our systems, that you start out with a minimum capable flow rate of 2.5 liters per minute. Why? Well, as that fluid flows through the device, these devices weren't designed initially to be cooled with fluid. So there's friction losses, there's choke points, And we have found that that 2.5 liter per minute per kilowatt flow rate provides ample cooling to ensure that you get good uniform thermal management of that device. So here we have our tank. We're flowing the fluid in through the bottom. It's coming up. It's being recovered, typically in some kind of recovery channel. 
Uh, that recovery channel could be on the outside, can be on the inside. Doesn't matter how you get the fluid out, um, but you, you do wanna make sure that you get good flow. Flow is the key to cooling in liquid immersion. And this is the area where we see a lot of self-designed tanks fall apart. Yeah, You can't simply push fluid in the bottom of something, drill a bunch of holes, round <laughs> holes in a plate, and the fluid magically flows up. If you see an immersion tank that has round holes in the bottom, you're buying a product that has never been adequately engineered or tested. And we see it over and over and over again. Uh, and the reason is, is that round holes produce very concentrated spouts of fluid. But the problem there is, is now you're getting a lot of dead spots throughout the tank. You're not getting good even flow. You the, the first miner to the last miner has to get that 2.5 liters per minute of kilowatt of flow through. After you recover the fluid, in our systems, we always try to use gravity as the way of priming the pump. Most people don't realize that the pumps that we use in most of the single phase liquid immersion cooling systems is a traditional centrifugal pump. Centrifugal pumps do not have any suction. What that means is, is that you cannot rely on the pump to suck the fluid out of the tank. The fluid actually has to be pushed into the pump. And so engineering the flow from the tank to the pump is absolutely critical in terms of performance in these systems. Again, another area where we see a lot of um, lack of understanding of the fluid and hydraulic dynamics of how a centrifugal pump works. So we have to have something called net positive head. That's the pressure of the fluid entering the pump in order to allow that pump to then accelerate it and expel the fluid. Once the, fluid, the pump has done its job and it's accelerated the fluid, it then pushes the fluid out to the dry cooler. Now, you could use a, a water tower, you could use an adiabatic cooling, you could use a chiller. The vast majority of our systems use, um, are made in the United States, dry coolers. We've designed and built our own liquid coolers specifically for immersion. And we've done that because we found that the performance factors of dry coolers that are designed for use in water just don't have, A, the performance. They're using tubing that's typically far too small, right? In addition, immersion has stuff in it. You get stuff, you know, we've seen paper towels, hats, we've seen rubber gloves, latex gloves, uh, insulation material, wire. All of this stuff has passed through the pump. I know that there's a lot of people say there's no way that could get through the pump. Let me tell you something. These pumps, some of these pumps will have no problem chewing up a whole bunch of, of uh cotton rags or microfiber rags, they, they'll eat them up in a heartbeat, particularly right. bigger ones that are used in the large systems. Yeah. That then is expelled into the dry cooler. And if you have a lot of small tubing, it gets clogged. So having a dry cooler that is designed specifically for immersion, having one that's an efficient uh, conductor of heat, both with the fans on and the fans off is critical. So the reason is, is we want to be able to turn those fans way down. We want to save that energy unless it's needed or even turn them off entirely and use convective energy. 
So your V-shaped coolers typically can't operate in that type of environment. So we actually use a horizontal um, fin tube cooler where we get really good convective energy. They're very easy to clean, um, both in terms of cleaning them externally, as well as the manifolding that we put on the external that allows you to actually see completely through the dry cooler and all the tubes in an effort to make it very simple to find clogs because one clogged tube can have a tremendous impact on the efficiency of the cooling. Once the fluid passes through the dry cooler and is cooled, comes right back into the tank and it starts that process again. So it's not a very complex system. People, um, there's a lot of systems we see that are way over-engineered. There's a lot going on. Now there are some nuances and some important hydraulic design, designing a good tank, designing good flow plates, critical, absolutely critical. Yeah. Uh, and designing flow plates that are specific to the devices and the flow rates required to cool them. Yeah. I'll give everybody a hint. If you look at most bit main miners, if you look at the heat sinks, they are asymmetric. What does that mean? That means that the heat sink is not the same size where the air enters the device as the where the air exits. Generally, the heat sinks at the front of the device are smaller. Why? Because the air entering them is smaller. So if you flow fluid in the opposite direction through a bitmain mining device, what you will find is that you'll typically overheat it. So you have to pay attention to the direction of flow that the fluid is going in the direction that that miner is facing. Micro BT miners, on the other hand, generally have symmetrical uh, heat sinks, which means that they're very easy. We can flow the fluid in either side and they're super efficient. Um, very reliable products. We use a lot of micro BT um, in our, uh, for our customers. Uh, why? Because they're simple. They're single tube. They generally only have one fan on either side and they've got those symmetrical uh, heat exchangers. However, micro BT products are much harder to overclock than Bitmain. So we've got a lot of customers that use a lot of Bitmain products because they're easily overclocked. Mm -hmm. But again, when designing these systems, you really need to take into account what the right flow is and in what direction is that flow going to occur. We offer immersion kits for just about every miner on the planet, um, and they are all designed to provide the way to have a handle to lift and remove the miner. They provide ways of mounting the control cards in areas where you can get to the connectors. And they also provide for extra length of cable in some cases to lift that control card up out of the fluid to make it possible to do resets and upgrades and firmware changes without having to reach into the hot fluid. Yeah. You know, you do not want to be putting your hands in 60 degree fluid. <laughs> uh, 60 degrees Celsius fluid in particular. That's 145 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's a good way to get scalded. So you have to be very careful. I, I have learned that lesson the hard way, Gary. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you talked about, we, we talked on the, on the first uh, part about the complexity of the tanks and how, um, you know, these, I don't want to call them homemade, but not, not uh, engineered by, by professionals like, like you guys uh, engineer fluids, but even something as, as small as the, as the flow play can have such a, a catastrophic um, consequence for, for the miner. We, we saw this actually in uh, one of our previous um 
previous um, uh, sites that we did not work work with engineer fluids at that point. And it was a sim- it was a simple simple fix, and you identified it fairly quickly. <laughs> that was that was one of the issues, but something as as what that would seem as small and um, not so relevant to the, the the grand scheme of of this complex uh, piece of engineering equipment had you know basically was the reason that our, our miners were overheating. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh- you know, we see this a lot. We get customers who come to us, they buy fluid, they tell us they want to design their tanks. And, and by the way, we encourage that, right? Um, we think everybody should have the opportunity to, to take on that technical challenge and learn. Um, we do a lot of support globally of people building their own container systems. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things that we're very proud of is that we donate um, on average, about 20,000 liters a year to universities, high school students, all sorts of people, all experimenting with ways to, to build and design these systems. Um, the difference is, though, is that if you're a crypto miner and you're making a substantial investment, you don't want to have a science project. You're, you want to buy a system that works. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who think, oh, I can weld up a tank. I can get into the immersion cooling business. Yeah. Listen, we sell a lot of fluid to people practicing. <laughs> yeah. We sell a lot of fluid to people who spill a lot of fluid on the floor because they're, they haven't thought through, well, how do I get the fluid in and how do I get it out and how do I move it around? Yeah. Great, you know. great, great for, great for business for, for, for you and the fluid, but there's, a, there's other uh, more meaningful ways for, for you to make business and yeah. not saying too. So yeah. And you want, you don't want to waste your capital on that. Right. You know, as I said, this this is not this should not be a science experiment. Right. You know, if you're going to invest hard earned capital from your investors, invest it in solutions that work. Yeah. Talk to people. You know, we get a lot of people that have talked to a lot of competitors, you know, of ours out in the field. Um, they come to us. They ask us questions. We're very giving. We're the only company, for instance, that publishes not just a list of miners that have been tested, but also over, you know, now over 2,500 different materials that we've tested. Mm-hmm. We give recommendations on what type of material to use for tanks, what kind of tubing. We get a lot of test data out there. And we do that in a way to forward the community. As a matter of fact, the Open Compute Project used our material compatibility guide as their guide in building their recommended materials. Wow. Um, you know, so we know that people are using that every day. We see some of the largest companies around the world on our website every day looking at that material compatibility guide to ensure that they're using good materials. Yeah. Um, we um, great, great stuff on the engineering of, of the tank and and how the system works from from start, start to finish. M- moving moving along to the miner arrives. Um, we, we have a miner in Texas. We've, I know the answer to, to this part, but I want to hear from you. And I know that um, I will probably not do nearly enough, nearly good enough job explaining the optimization process when we receive the miner. It's something that we offer as, as part of our service and, and yeah. you know, go to uh, liquidimmersionhosting.com uh, for, for more information on the different services. But on, on one of our services, the, the silver level, um, we, we provide the, the PSU upgrade at cost. And then obviously, if you want to be a, 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 a platinum level member um, to receive all of the benefits of that, which I'm sure you'll touch on um, 
there's a, a PSU upgrade and uh, an overclock, freaking overclocking control card um, as well, which which we uh, which we provide. Discuss what the reason is number one for the upgrade of the PSU and and how that uh, impacts the efficiency of of the manor. Absolutely. So one of the primary benefits, as we've talked about, about liquid immersion cooling is the ability to overclock the device. Um, a lot of people think about overclocking as running the device faster than the manufacturer intended. That is a true statement, but only relative to the cooling medium in which it was measured in. So what do I mean by that? Let's say that we have a miner that's designed to run at 100 terahash, and it's air-cooled. It probably was specced at 100 terahash at about 32 degrees Celsius. So if I can get the cooling efficiency of, say, 20 degrees Celsius or 15 degrees Celsius, I'd be able to put more energy into that miner and run it at a higher hash rate. This is effectively overclocking. What most people fail to understand is that the reason that you can overclock a miner in immersion very effectively is, again, that heat removal, right? As we put more energy in, you're going to get a higher hash rate, but you're going to lose efficiency in terms of the watts per terahash because you're forcing the device to run faster. But as long as we keep it cool, and as long as we're being effective in that cooling, we're able to keep that waste energy, those extra watts per terahash down. Now, the magic here is, is that most of the ASICs that are used in these mining devices are very happy to run at high temperatures. What's not happy is the power supply. Most of these devices are not specced with power supplies that have a lot of excess capacity. And the harder you run a power supply, the more inefficient that power supply becomes, meaning the more of the energy that you put into it as it transitions from typically AC to DC, that power transition becomes less and less efficient the more energy I force into it. If that power supply hasn't been designed to operate at those you know, higher levels and at that higher temperature. Yeah. So when you go to do overclocking and liquid immersion, you'll see a lot of people just take the standard stock power supply, drop it right in the tank, and then add the firmware that's required to overclock and turn it up. Mm -hmm. Here's what they're missing. The fact of the matter is, is that it is not a one-to-one -one relationship between overclocking and watts per terahash used. As you go up the curve with the standard power supplies, they become less and less efficient. As a matter of fact, in our testing, we can typically show that a, a standard ant miner power supply will use about 150% of the power to generate about 125% of the terahash. That's a big extra number. Yeah. So the answer to that is to develop immersion cooling optimized power supplies, which we, we provide, we, we have those available, um, that can go up to say 6,000 watts, but maintain a relatively linear watts per terahash, meaning that when you turn it up to 150% in terahash, 
you're going to use about 150% of the power. Now, no power supply is completely linear. So you're always going to have some waste. But the difference between wasting a few watts and wasting hundreds of watts means that the cost to operate that miner is substantially lower when you use an immersion-optimized power supply. In addition, these immersion-optimized power supplies have no fans. They were designed to operate without fans. They were designed to operate with far less air-cooled baffling so that you get better fluid flow so that they're, they stay cooler. And the components that we choose to put into these immersion power supplies are chosen specifically to be materially compatible with Bitcool, meaning that you're, you're getting a device that was designed to operate in immersion at much higher performance levels than the standard power supply. Now, you can definitely use a standard power, uh, power supply, but you're not going to get anywhere near the efficiency or the profitability that you would, which is one of the reasons why Liquid Immersion Worldwide, when we made that decision to look at you know, what your offering was going to be, we really said, look, we need to offer those customers, your customers, the opportunity to get the full benefit of immersion, where at the same time, it gave the benefit that you, as an operator, would have more energy in the tank, right? If we're not wasting it driving useless terahash at very high prices, that means that you can put more customers in the tank. So everybody wins. The operator wins because you're being more efficient. The end user wins because they're using less energy to, to develop the same amount of terahash. Right. And the biggest winner of all is that everybody benefits because those power supplies are far more reliable. Whereas a standard Bitmain power supply may burn up when overclocked in about you know anywhere from four to six months, these liquid immersion power supplies will go years at full capacity. Yeah. There's nothing wrong from a quality perspective between either of these power supplies. It's just that when you're overdriving them consistently, particularly the power supplies, they, they fail. They're just not designed for that. Yeah. That's the key thing. Yeah. The other thing that's really important that people don't realize about the power supplies is, Again, the orientation of the components on the boards in the power supplies is critical to ensure that you're getting good cooling. If all of your heat sinks in your power supply are horizontal to the flow of the fluid, you're not getting good flow. <laughs> Simple yeah. things like orientating those heat sinks in the right direction make a huge impact on their overall efficiency. Yeah. So, ba so basically, if if you want optimum performance from your your uh, liquid immersion, uh, your liquid immersed miner, upgrade your PSU, PSU with engineer fluids. And if yeah. you if you want to run your stock PSU and burn out after four to six months, you can get your replacement PSU from engineer fluids too. So that's perfect. That right? We have a lot of customers. Listen, we have a lot of customers that do that. Yeah. Generally speaking, though, what is funny is that I I have. Uh, had multiple of these very strange conversations where customers are viscerally upset with me that I did not push harder to make them replace their power supply earlier. Right, right. The reason is, is they don't get their power bill until a few months later and they say, holy shit, I'm, I'm, I'm burning up all this power, but I'm not seeing the benefit in the terahash. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's it's very true and we and we <clears throat> it's almost a disclaimer we put on the on on the front end that you really want to consider upgrading your PSU we're not going to make you do it well um there's probably there's probably a situation in uh in Texas where we might have to to, to maintain the um efficiency of of the of the system but in yep. the past we've um, we, we haven't pushed it in very, very quickly. Customers realize the mistake that they've made because they didn't want to part way with an extra, what, 200 bucks, $250 for, you know, for a, a um, it, it pays for itself in two months, three exactly. months. I mean, and then after that, the profitability following that from the reliability, the always on hashing and the increase in, in, in total hash, particularly the efficiency of power to hash. It, it's, it's truly a no-brainer. It really is. Yeah. Um, great, great insight into the the overall uh, system, the optimization, the upgrade. You touched a little bit on on overclocking too. I don't know if we need to go much much more into that, unless there's anything more you want to share on. No, I mean the big thing about overclocking is is that there's a a couple of good things happening in the market right now. In the old days, you had to use a firmware upgrade, uh, particularly. Um, with the Bitmain products to get access to overclocking. They still can, um, you know, that you have to go out and use either, you know, Brains or Vanish or a number of the other products that are out there that allow for overclocking. As yeah. a matter of fact, um, BitFrontier, um, I, I'm very pleased, has their own overclocking software, which we now can use uh, quite successfully. Um, there are also a number of control cards that are available on the market that allow you to overclock without having to pay the licensing fees where people are getting, you know, anywhere from three to five percent of your overclocked hash rate as a payment to them for licensing their software. So many of those models are, are going away. Um, Micro BT, big shout out for those guys. They've enabled uh, immersive cooled miners to be overclocked with their stock firmware. Right. Great. It means that they're recognizing the opportunity to do better for their customers. So, you know, we're, uh, we're always looking for um, miners like Epic out of Canada. Again, mm -hmm. another great mining company that uh, makes their um, control boards available without having to pay a dev fee. So, uh, you know, I think what we've seen is that the, uh, the Bit Frontier uh, products are great. We've worked together to make sure that they're they're really reliable. They're easy to use, easy to optimize. They're self-optimizing. That's another aspect that you get into. Whether you're undervolting, overvolting, you know, there's a lot of different uh, ways of optimizing performance. There are so many variables that people spend a huge amount of time, and each individual miner technically should be optimized individually. Each hash card, in fact, um, can be individually optimized. So this, in that aspect, when you're running a large mine, and that's why, again, when we get customers that come to us and say, hey, build it and operate it for us, what they're taking advantage of is that knowledge of how to optimize each card in those large facilities to get the maximum hash rate for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gary, awesome, awesome insight again into the system. I want to, I want to have a couple more questions to, to, to round us up. I want to, um, I want to get your thoughts on, and I know we, 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 we joke about needing a crystal ball. We're trying to get Keith to sources a crystal ball from, uh, from China, but, um, 
you're you're in a great position, I think, to 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 share where you see the future of liquid immersion technology heading. Um, and are there any upcoming advancements in the in the technology or trends that uh, that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, well, I think the uh, a couple of things. One is is we're starting to see that uh, companies like MicroBT um, and Epic and a number of other uh, mining uh, mining equipment manufacturers are manufacturing equipment specifically designed for immersion. Mm-hmm. And this is great. We love this. It eliminates the need for us to do any kind of optimization, having to make any changes physically to the miner. There's no fans to deal with. They've got the right power supplies in. You know the uh, uh, the M56 plus M56 plus plus the M56 S plus plus. I'm sure they're going to add more letters and pluses to it at some point, but. You know, I'll tell you, we see in the testing that we've done there, we see amazing watts per terahash for a a miner that was designed and optimized for use in immersion. So that's the first big development that I see in the future is we're going to see more and more devices optimized for immersion. One of the big questions I get about technology is, oh, what about the hydros? Well, let's talk about that because... I'll be honest with you, you will not catch me in a facility of a liquid-cooled, water-cooled device that relies on a whole bunch of little plastic tubes when I've got megawatts of power around me. One of those devices springs a leak, sprays water onto the others, and now you've got a potentially horrific safety uh, environment. The beautiful thing about liquid immersion using BitCool and our other dielectric coolants is I can literally spray the people, the equipment, and the facility with a fire hose of our BitCool. And the only safety issue that we'll have is a slip hazard as we clean it up. Because it's biodegradable. It's non-toxic. You can drink the product. We're rated food grade. It's got a very high dielectric strength, so you're not going to potentially be electrocuted. I've, I've seen too many water-cooled devices spring a leak. Even in the data center industry, we're starting to see people turn away from water and starting to look at our dielectric coolants as a way to eliminate a lot of the over-engineering that has to go into the safety. Yeah. The other aspect of that is, is that we're getting the same levels of performance with a significant benefit you're not locked into one vendor. Mm. That tank can support any miner, whether it was designed for immersion or not. You buy a hydro system, you're it. That's all you got. Once that hydro system is is run its course, now you own a big (laughs) water-filled container full of useless equipment. You can't rip that miner out and put a new device in it. This is why from an immersion hosting perspective, Immersion is great because we can host any miner in that system. If if you're lucky, you might you might have a bookcase for your your water cool row. If yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> right, and and by the way, the micro BT water cooled miner, the Intel water cooled miner, the um, uh, Bitmain water cooled, none of them are compatible with each other. These different flow rates, these different size hoses. I mean, it, it's a great walled garden approach. Keep in mind that one of the things that I love about what we do is we create open systems 
that allow you to go to the vendor that offers you the best performance at any time when you buy your device. You're not locked in. Yeah. Everybody wants to be a walled garden. I get you. I sell you once. You always got to buy my miner. That's not the case with liquid immersion. You buy the miner that has the best performance at the time that you're willing to make that investment. If you're a hosting miner, like, you know, what we do together with liquid immersion worldwide and BitFrontier, this gives them the ability to build a system that will support hundreds of different kinds of miners. Right. Right. Very efficient in that sense and yeah. very, very safe. You know, that's the other thing people don't realize. Once you add glycol to water, it's not water anymore. Now it is a contaminated substance. Right. It's a it's not water. You can't just dispose of it. You can't pour all that out. You know, you have to be careful. It has to be disposed of properly. Yeah. And again, my fear of water and anything electrical, I've been a boater my whole life. All you have to do is talk to somebody that's gotten zapped by uh, high voltage in a, in a boating environment to, to learn a whole new lesson and why you want to avoid mixing water and electricity. Yeah, that's not that's not a good idea. There, there's, <clears throat> we touched on a, a you know a magnitude of the uh, of the the advantages of of the cooling system. You've talked a little bit there about the safety component too. Is is also a is also a huge piece to to, to consider. And, and you touched on on some of those hydro units, uh, and we get this all the time. We have we have customers that will purchase the hydro unit. They're they're not user friendly at home either. And I, you know, we. Again, we sell we sell these with, with a disclaimer. You really got to know what you're doing uh, if if you want to um, host one of those at home, um, or if you have a facility to actually do it properly with those because they typically run on significantly higher higher power. Um, they're 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 not particularly user friendly. That's that's the reality. So. Yeah, for me, it's the, the safety aspect. I mean, yeah. anytime you're mixing very high energy electrical devices that have water flowing, flowing through them. You're basically placing your hands in the engineer who designed that because he's not standing in that container with you. And he's trusting the cheapest $2 clip to keep that water hose on the back of that miner. There's just no way I would put myself or anyone I know in that situation. Right. Last question, Gary, this is, this is it. And this is probably the, the, the question I deal with the most being in a position of uh, sales. Um, talk, talk to us a little about the, the cost implementation. So how, how does the cost of implementing a liquid immersion technology compare to traditional cooling methods? And we can compare just the, you know, the, the, the typical base rate yeah. of kilowatts per hour and, and yeah. is it justified? How, how, how do we justify it? So when um, so one of the things that we did very early on in engineered fluids, particularly for our large customers, and it's something that you know Darren, you and I have worked on extensively as well, is a real a true ROI model. Yeah. Okay. So air cooling will always be cheaper in the beginning, but you're not in mining because you're saving capital in the beginning. You're in mining because you're trying to generate as much hash to generate as much Bitcoin as possible at the lowest possible total return over a period of two to three years, yeah. right? In other words, your investment, you want the highest return with the least investment, but you should be measuring it over two to three years. Why? Because sure, you can get in cheap, you can start an air-cooled miner, it runs 80% of the time, 70% of the time, you know, you're constantly futzing with it, trying to get it to 
you know, trained to the pool. You're seeing your hash rates go up and down. You have to take it off. You got to clean it. In all these environments, your ROI, when you measure it over 12 months, what you find out is, is that liquid immersion generally pays for itself in the first three to four months. Um, smaller systems will take longer, could be six months. But as soon as they paid for themselves, what's interesting is, is that the return that they get is typically three to four times an air-cooled miner. And it's because that miner is up and hashing consistently and you're not wasting time messing around with it. If you want to sit there and futz with your miner all the time, if you've got all the time in the world to do that, go be an air-cooled miner. If you want to turn it on and forget it and get the largest, fastest return, then you're a liquid immersion miner. Because once those miners are hashing, once they're trained properly, you should never have to touch that miner again. Case in point, S17s, I think everybody remembers that we had massive failure rates with S17s. Mm-hmm. In air, we were seeing failure rates that were over 80% of those devices. Wow. In immersion, we weren't seeing any failures. <laughs> right? Now, that was a poorly designed product. It had significant thermal management issues. But even for a very well-designed product, if you can take all of that risk off the table, you'll get a much faster return with liquid immersion. You know, on average, you're probably looking at, you know, on a per miner basis, somewhere around a 200 to $300, maybe $400 greater investment per device, but you're generating that back very quickly. When you take into account, honestly, and this is important, because I see business models all the time that say, oh, yeah, in my air-cooled environment, I hash 100% of the time. <laughs> if you see a business model like that, you're talking to a shyster. It's full <laughs> bullshit. Yes. Full bullshit. Yeah. You know, you go into any of the largest air-cooled mines that are still in operation, 70% of those miners, 80% of those miners all have red blinking lights. And I'm talking about some of the best operators in the world. It has nothing to do with their operating expertise. That's everything to do with the fact that's what you get with an air-cooled miner. Right. Best you can do. Right. And it's uh, it's a big part of the reason why, as a as a company, as an organization, we we moved away from from air cooled mining. Uh, we want to provide the best service possible. Um, we we still offer air cooled hosting. If if customers want air cooled hosting, they're welcome to it. We're, we we don't discriminate <laughs> at uh, at Bitfrontier Capital Holdings. But um, yeah, but our you know our our conversation is is exactly everything that you've discussed today um, in in both parts of the show. Well, in twelve months, you won't be able to. Uh, unless you have free power, right? Right. I mean, yeah. there are very few places in the world where you get free, really free power. Right. Um, you know, air cooling just it won't be an option. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you're you're the the as as the level of complexity increases dramatically. You know, after the having, and now you're going to have to be super efficient. The other thing that we're seeing, frankly, is up and down, particularly in the Northeast. Uh, and in the uh, south, around North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, we're seeing a huge number of counties that are basically saying no air-cooled mining. We see this in North Dakota, yep. no air-cooled mining. It's too noisy, makes way too much noise. Yep. Liquid immersion is a substantially quieter method. Yes, there are fans outside, 
But what you don't have is 50,000 screaming high-pitched fans going. <laughs> You've got larger fans moving large volumes of air, but not doing so with that annoying high-pitched whine that travels for miles. Yeah. So even in, in counties where they've eliminated air-cooled mining, we have customers right now that are rapidly moving to immersion in order to continue to mine and continue to use that power investment that they've made. So again, I think air-cooled mining is on the way out. It's inefficient. Uh, it's hard to maintain. It's a lot of labor. I mean, you got five or six guys constantly cleaning all the crap out of those miners. In liquid immersion, typically we see on average that we can operate a five megawatt mine with one person. Right, right. Gary, I, I don't think that I could wrap it up in conclusion any any better than you just did there. You've you've taken us out with uh, with some brilliant last pieces of, of information. This 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 two part series has been has been awesome. I, I said at the top of the show, and I wasn't I wasn't joking to you in our in our little break that I've uh, personally I've learned a lot, and and you and I have have already had uh, several conversations, if if not significantly more, about about this technology, about. Um, you know, all, all things now and all things in the future for, for liquid immersion. Um, I, I have, I have a thousand other questions and I'm, and I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm sure that we'll, we'll get questions through, um, through the channel. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be great there. We should, we should do that. We should let people send you stuff. I'd be happy to get on. We'll spend like 10 minutes. We'll pick a, a group of questions and go through it. Um, you yeah. know, we, we love, uh, helping people understand this technology better. Um, we love seeing people uh, as they as they really begin to take advantage of it to, to get a big benefit of it. You know, keep in mind that the uh, the more energy we can save, uh, the more efficient we can be. The less we're going to impact our environment. Um, you know, for us and for me and as a, as an individual, I'm uh, I'm very focused on what we do to our environment, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what we're doing with liquid immersion hosting. Yeah. Um, and working together with Bit Frontier because I know you guys share the same values. So uh, yeah. for me, it's a it's a great opportunity and a great partnership. I couldn't couldn't agree more. And and for our customers, if anyone is is interested in, in hosting, obviously visit our website liquidemergenhosting.com. Um, if there's if anyone's interested in full scale build out um, opportunities, you can reach to, you can reach us at Liquid Emergent Hosting, and we will direct you Gary's way. But we'll we'll pop your website up up here. We'll have Sam and Matt do their do their special editing. I won't do the the Andrew special of throwing your phone number um, on, on the screen. We'll, we'll avoid that. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody in this space has my phone phone number but uh you know come to the uh, engineered you know www.engineeredfluids.com uh you know you'll you can send it to sales you can send it to gary.testa uh you can send it to support all of those will get you uh you know to me and the team um again if you're looking for liquid immersion hosting a liquid immersion worldwide is one of the best opportunities we know for a fact that they do a great job and we're proud to be their partner. Awesome. Gary, thank you so much again for your time and to all of our listeners and viewers, we appreciate you tuning in until next time. Please like, and subscribe. Goodbye. <laughs> Cheers.